Good morning. We are well into the summer months here in the valley. That means a lot of things. It means it is hot, mostly dry, and people are in and out traveling. But seasonal changes do not create changes in what we do here. Preaching and teaching from the text of Scripture. And this morning I'm going to start with Acts 20 and verse 27. I'll give the background and then we will arrive at Acts chapter 20 and verse 27. First of all, the background. In one of the more emotional narratives in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is visiting with the elders of the church in Ephesus. It was a time of brethren embracing, praying together, and remembering. As the Apostle Paul issued necessary challenges to these men, this statement is made in verse 27. It says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In our approach to God and His Word, there is a wholeness. There is a unity that demands our very careful attention. Here's what I mean. It is relatively easy to quote one verse or even quote one chapter and associate that passage with what you want that passage to say. There is this common temptation to not read the whole. Just look at slices or parts. When Paul did his preaching and teaching in Ephesus and wherever he was, he didn't just give people isolated statements or neat little quotations. He delivered the gospel in its fullness. Here he says, as he reviews his work in Ephesus, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Everything they needed to hear. The wholeness of the message captured first the heart of the Apostle Paul and by inspiration of the Spirit he delivered the whole message to the people. Here he says in review of that work I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now that leads me back to what I said in our approach to God and His Word, there is a wholeness, a connectiveness, a unity that demands our careful recognition. God didn't give us just a book of quotations, unrelated collection of verses and sayings. We have in this book everything from Genesis through Revelation as a whole story. 
It is one big picture. It all points to Christ and what our response to Him should be, but it's all connected. It is a whole. Every verse has a context. Every context has meaning that is connected to God's overall plan for man to save us from sin through Christ. We have all of that collected together in what we call the Bible. Has this ever happened to you? You're reading through the Bible in a class or in an assembly or maybe at home in your daily Bible reading and you're following along with the teacher, perhaps if it is here, and you come to a verse and your first thought is, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that's about. I don't know what to do with that. And so you just stop there and you just lock into that verse, that little slice of the whole. And since you don't know what it's about, you, you think that if you just read it again and focus on just that part, then eventually through that focus on that slice, you'll understand exactly what it means. Well, some of you know what I'm going to say. Those of you who've been here for a while know what I'm going to say. You're going to hear three words. And you hear these three words from me all the time. You come to this place where you think you are stuck. You just don't get it. And so you stop. And I say to you, don't stop. Just keep reading. The verse you don't understand yet is explained by what you haven't read yet. And I'm just going to take the sermon this morning to dig into that, develop that, and show you how that works with some examples. What we're talking about is respecting the whole counsel of God. He didn't, he didn't give us standalone quotations. God gave us the gospel story and he gave us the background in the Old Testament. It all makes sense. It all comes together. It should yield a response of obedience. And thus the local church at Ephesus was formed by their obedience to the gospel. And then Paul later wrote to them a letter, Ephesians. And you know what he said in that letter? In Ephesians 3 and verse 4. He said, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now, he wasn't talking about reading just that verse, but everything before it and everything after it. So I'm going to build on that concept this morning. Just keep reading. I talk about it a lot in Bible classes. I want to develop it today from the pulpit. The verse you don't understand yet, is explained by what you haven't read yet. So I've selected three passages we're going to study together during our time with emphasis on this very important skill. Just keep 
reading. Open to the book of Genesis. First book in the Bible. Open to the book of Genesis. And when you get there, find chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And I'll give the context. And we will arrive at a verse. And we'll look at that verse illustrating this skill that we all need to have. Just keep reading. Context. Genesis 3 is that well-known history of Adam and Eve falling into sin. God gave them a beautiful, abundantly furnished home in the garden. It was flourishing. Everything they needed was there. He said to Adam and Eve, in essence, here is your paradise. Don't mess it up. He said, you can eat all this and use all this and enjoy all this, but one thing you cannot do. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. You know, of course, that they did, becoming guilty of sin and bringing upon themselves the consequences of their disobedience. And as those consequences were expressed and announced by the Lord, you come to verse 15 where the Lord said to Satan, to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Well, what does that mean? What's that all about? You read that for the first time and you just may be scratching your head. Well, start with what's clear. Certain things are clear. In the context, they're clear. God told Adam and Eve not to eat of that tree. The serpent, Satan, deceived Eve. She deceived Adam. Consequences of their sin were announced. Included in those consequences, this statement in verse 15 to the serpent, to Satan. By the way, isn't it valuable to observe when you look at all this that Adam and Eve didn't murder somebody? They were not guilty of theft or adultery or anything like that. They just didn't respect God's word. They did what God had told them not to do. So you have sin <clears throat> and consequences coming down to Genesis 3.15, the statement of the Lord to the devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Well, what does this mean? This is where we might get stuck and we just might stop there. And you just run all this through your head and you consider options and possibilities and maybe you pull out a commentary or two and just focus on Genesis 3.15 and you keep drawing a blank. Even after you engage in some sort of 
grammatical analysis. Maybe you diagram the sentence. You're still uncertain what this is about. Obviously, this speaks of conflict. And obviously, this speaks of a victor. One who would strike a blow to the head. All Satan's side would do would be to bruise a heel. So conflict in the future with a clear victor. The victor is the offspring of woman. The loser is the offspring of Satan. Okay, it's clearing up a little bit. But what I just said was based on what comes after Genesis 3.15. Here is where you apply that simple skill. You don't understand Genesis 3.15. Just keep reading. Take your difficulty and park it. Pause it. Take what you see here and be patient and read the rest of the story. And as you continue through the Old Testament, it becomes clearer with every page and every episode that God had a plan to send a Savior, the Anointed One, the Messiah, who would be victorious over Satan. That Savior would come through a woman, Mary. And that Savior would defeat and be the victor over Satan. All Satan would do would be to bruise a heel. Now where did I get all that? I kept reading all the way into the New Testament. If you stop at Genesis 3.15, you're not going to see all of that right around that verse. But as you continue through the Old Testament, the message of the coming Savior is clear. It leads you right into the New Testament. In the New Testament, you quickly see that while Satan is active, while he uses unbelievers to send Christ to his death, that's only a bruise to the heel. Jesus, in his resurrection and his ascension back to heaven, nails Satan down in defeat. And that's what it's about in Genesis 3.15. The Apostle Paul refers to this promise given in Genesis over in Galatians. It's what happens when you just keep reading. Christ is the offspring of woman who defeated and who is defeating and who will finally forever defeat the serpent. All the serpent can do, all Satan can do, is heal the bruise. He is the singular Christ. Christ is the singular seed in Galatians 3.16. And in Galatians 4 verse 4, he was born of a woman. Just keep reading. The verse you don't understand yet is explained by what you haven't read yet. Turn with me to the one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible. John 3.16. John 3.16. That's our next stop. I spoke about this in a recent Wednesday night Bible class, and I'll repeat some of that, but with some more explanation as it pertains to this Bible study skill. Just keep reading. 
Well, everybody knows John 3.16. Many of us memorized it from the King James Version many years ago. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, to know what that means, you need more than just that verse. Remember the wholeness and unity of God's Word. It isn't enough just to memorize a well-known verse. What comes before John 3.16? What comes after John 3.16? Let me set us in that direction. <clears throat> before John 3.16, Jesus had a conversation with a man. Jesus told a man he needed to do something. <clears throat> His faith needed to be active to receive what Jesus came to offer. Jesus said to this man, his name was Nicodemus, you must be born again. So before you get to John 3.16, Jesus is telling the man there's something you need to do to enter into the family of God. <coughs> so whatever believing in Jesus means... It involves doing something. The activity of faith is something you discover before you ever read John 3.16. Then, here it comes, just keep reading. In John 3, after verse 16, down at verse 21, it says it is necessary to do what is true. And then the last verse in John 3 states that those who do not obey the Son shall not see life. They put themselves under the wrath of God. Therefore, John 3.16 must be understood in the light of the context and that kind of study driven by objectivity and this concept of the wholeness of the truth shows that John 3.16 is a faith that obeys. Just keep reading. The rest of the Gospel of John and go into the book of Acts and it's going to be clear and there's going to be specific teaching about the activity of faith. When a sinner hears the Gospel, believes in Christ, confessing that faith, then repenting and being baptized, that person is receiving the benefit announced in John 3.16, as stated in Acts 2.38, when one who has heard the gospel and believes in Christ repents and is baptized and they live as disciples of Christ, they put themselves in the company of those who do not perish. The verse, you don't understand yet, is explained by what you haven't read yet. Let's do it one more time. <clears throat> John 4, 24. Let's see how it works here. Context. Always context. Jesus said to the woman that he met in Samaria, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Well, we are a people who want details. And we can be impatient in that regard. 
We want details immediately. Worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? How do you do that? What are the details of it? It was not Jesus' purpose at this point in his work to go into a long discourse about what the apostles would later reveal. So it is unreasonable for the Bible reader to stop here and be critical of Jesus for not giving all the details in one sentence. He knew his apostles would later provide the specifics of worship. So, how do we get those specifics? Well, I think you know what I'm going to say. Just keep reading. You get into the book of Acts and in the epistles and you discover that worshiping God in spirit and in truth is explained through commands and examples. And as we follow those, we pray, we give, we sing, we take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. That's an example. We read the Word of God and we present the Word of God to people, preaching and teaching from the text of Scripture. I hope we see that the verse you don't understand yet is explained by what you haven't read yet. So, may I offer this to all of you who read your Bibles and those who bring a Bible to these assemblies. When you read and follow along in the Bible, don't get discouraged and bogged down by just looking at one thing and not seeing everything else around it. One verse you don't understand. One subject you're studying and you pull up a verse on that subject and you just put it right there. And you set up camp on that verse. Remember what we've presented today about the wholeness and the unity of Scripture. Here's what I've heard many times. <clears throat> Someone will send me an email or come to me or call me on the phone and they will cite some single verse that they're looking at and they say okay preacher tell me what that says as if God had said somewhere in the margins of the Bible if you don't understand this call the preacher But I want to help people, so I'll give an answer. And where I usually begin is when somebody says, I don't know, I don't know what this verse means. I often reply with a question. And I say to the person, what is the context of that verse? And I can almost see that through the phone. What is the context of that verse? Often the person asking the question has not read the context, or if they have, they need to go back and factor that context into that verse and do a fresh read and study. I'll tell you a story. 
Many years ago, my stepfather, Judson Woodbridge, who was a preacher, was in my house back in Kansas. And he was a gospel preacher. I was living there. He spent a lot of time at my house. And two young men came to the door one day, and we invited them in. We kind of knew what this was about, but we invited them in. And they were advocates of a religious group, and they wanted to read a verse in Ezekiel. And so they read the verse in Ezekiel. And then they went into all of their indoctrination, spleel, that they had been trained in. And we read the verse, and we patiently listened. And of course, they were connecting that verse to the religious dogma that they were teaching door to door. And my stepfather said to the young men, Tell me more about Ezekiel. When did Ezekiel live? What was Ezekiel's charge before God? Who was Ezekiel preaching to? What is the historical context of that verse? You couldn't even hear the crickets. They didn't know any of that. They had been trained or indoctrinated to quote verses in support of what they advocated. They knew what they advocated. They were given verses to connect to what they were advocating. They didn't read around those verses at all. They left without answering any of our questions. And our hope was that after they left, they would go back and read Ezekiel. In fact, more than that, our hope was that these young men would read everything before Ezekiel and everything after Ezekiel objectively and honestly without imposing onto the text any system, creed, or dogma. We need to be people who read Scripture in its unity, who recognize and respect its wholeness. Of all people, Christians ought to be people who handle properly and honestly the whole counsel of God. Because when we stand before the judge at the end, what will matter... Did we listen to his word? Did we respond to his son? Did we take what we read in its wholeness and put it into our hearts and respond to it day by day? I say to you this, just keep reading. Let's be standing as we sing.